This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way, with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 27 of the North American Outdoors Podcast. My name is Heidi Rayo, coming to you from the great state of Texas. Too often, we sometimes take things for granted if we have never been exposed to anything else. Um, If something is the way it's always been, we become complacent and we take things for granted. I met a very interesting gentleman recently, and he has a great story. So today, we are going to be all about Henry, and he is going to share his story with us. Welcome to the podcast, Henry. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, my um, my name is Henry. I um, my Vietnamese name is Hugh Pham. I am uh, Vietnamese. Um, I came here at the age of eight, uh, but uh, I consider myself as an American. Tell me a little bit about where you grew up in your hometown area. Okay, uh, I grew up in Vietnam for eight years of my life. I I grew up in a place called District 2. And in Vietnam, um, I, I, I live in the South Vietnam. I live in Saigon. And it's, it's a big city, somewhat like you can be com- compared to like Houston, but they separate Houston into different number. So, for example, you have... Um, Harris County, you have Fort Bend, you have Sugarland. Instead of giving those district a name, they give it a number instead. So I grew up in District 2, which is very close to the, uh, I guess, like, I don't know if you can call it the capital city of Vietnam, but uh, in, in Saigon. Uh, or it is now known as Ho Chi Minh. Uh, after the, um, um, the South lost the war and the North took over, they don't call that city Saigon anymore. They renamed it Ho Chi Minh after the name of the uh, the, the uh, communist dictator. Um, my childhood um, was 
was great. Um, I, I think I had a great childhood between ever since I was a baby all the way to eight. Um, my, I, for during those eight years, I, I grew up without my dad being close by. Um, it's because right after I was born at one years old, my dad and his family got an opportunity to come to the United States. And the party, or I mean, to be exact, the Communist Party did not allow um, my dad and to bring my mom along because it's only his family, only like his my grandpa, my grandma, and their and my grandparents' kids, and not their spouses. So um, my mom and and I was left back in Vietnam and we had to go through the process of paperwork and that took about eight years. Um, and I remember my dad would find all the opportunity to come back and visit uh, my mom and I. So but, during this whole time, you were applying to come to America as well? Y- yes. During, during that process, my mom was... Um, uh, doing that, I, I'm sure that was uh, their priority. But um, I was a kid; I wasn't aware of it. You know, I was just uh, having fun. Yeah, and you know, I I, uh, I went to I went to school there for eight years. Um, I think I had a very decent childhood. Um, I remember my mom say that you know, my dad would send money back to my mom. And a dollar would stretch really far in Vietnam. So we were able to afford breakfast, lunch, and dinner <laughs> just from one U.S. dollar. Wow. So uh, the area I live in, in District 2, at, at that time, there was farmland everywhere. It wasn't developed yet. Um, the house that me and my mom lived in was considered, like, you look, a lot of people look in, was like, wow, like, you, you got it, like, Someone here got to be from the U.S. or that's you know able to help you build this house. It was it was a pretty good. It was a nice house. If you go back to District Two now, it doesn't look anything like that. Yeah, because of urbanization, more yeah. people building. Yeah, it's it's very developed now. District so that's Two is very pretty similar to what we have here in this a lot of the states where um, the urbanization is taking over and you know built more buildings and complexes and strip centers or you know taking the land from the wildlife and the habitat. Right. So then flash forward to um, what was it like when you were able to finally come to the United States? Tell me a little bit about that. Okay. So when I um, got, when me and my mom got the chance to come to the U S I was still numb to it because I was still a kid and I was just going along with everything that my mom was taking me along, you know, taking all my shots, do all of this to prepare to come to the U.S. I was just numb to it. I wasn't really excited. I remember I was really excited when I got in, in into the airplane for the first time. I was like, wow, that's cool. It's a big airplane. You get to fly. Uh, as a kid, that was like, that was so cool. Um, and that's something I, I, I would never forget. And uh, I thought at that age, what fascinated me was, I remember when we landed, I think, I don't remember if we landed in LAX first. 
and then we, we made a stop there or something. And I see how American interact with each other. And I thought it was very fascinating that, you know, American would greet each other like, hi, good morning. And how are you? It was very welcoming. And, and I like, I understand those little words because I did, you know, take English when I was in Vietnam. And, and it was, it was just kind of weird for me that, that, um, people were so welcoming and so warm and so courteous. Um, I, I, I remember that. As, as a little kid, when I first came to the state, um, it was, it was really different. Um, I, I, I wasn't used to the food. It was hard for me to eat. I remember, um, my family member from over here in the States, they started to take me out. Um, my grandpa, oldest brother would take me to go get, go to McDonald or Burger King with, my other distant cousins and <laughs> they would buy me a hamburger and I couldn't finish it because I wasn't used to it. <laughs> I remember my favorite food at the time was like fried chicken because it was so easy to eat. <laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, it was hard for me to, um, be, to, to learn English and just co- like cohabitate with everybody. It was, it was difficult for me when I started to attend school, because a lot of, uh, Vietnamese American, like they, like they were born here. I didn't get along with them because I was different. I, I didn't speak English well. So it was just a whole process of, uh, slowly and, you know, learning more of the language and trying to fit in with everybody. Um, yeah. and this was all in California. Uh, no, uh, this was all in Houston. Sorry. Oh, in Houston. Okay. Yeah, I, I've been in Houston most of my life. Um, okay. Yeah, ever since I was eight all the way to now. Yeah. Oh, very good. Yeah. So the reason we met is um, we have a common interest in firearms. And so Henry and I were talking about our um, privil- our rights as um, Americans and our Second Amendment and how important that is that we have a, a right to bear arms and um, we teach people responsibility and safety. So through our conversation, um, Henry shared some things with me that I would love for you to share with, with everyone about um, what you've noticed in America versus in Vietnam um, regarding firearms. Right. So, um, Vietnam and, well, Vietnam is a communist country and they don't allow citizens to have firearm or bear arms. Completely different from the, uh, United States. Is that something that you even noticed growing up? Did you even realize that that was something that you weren't allowed as a? No. I, I, I wasn't, um, aware of that. It, like Vietnamese people are very, uh, gentle people. We just mind our own business, rarely looking for problems, very nice people and just work hard and just go on with your life. Um, I, no, I was not aware of that at all until I came to the States. And, okay. Yeah. So what was your interest? I mean, how did you, get involved with your background coming here. Um, what sparked your interest in learning about firearms? Okay. Uh, interesting question. So uh, for me, 
growing up, uh, ever since I was in high school and started to attend college, um, I, I started to become fascinated with political politics and capitalism and communism. I remember I would stay up all night just watching documentary about all these dictators, especially communist dictator like um, Stalin, Mao, Ho Chi Minh, Pol Pot. These dictators kills millions and millions and millions of their people, but yet the country would still worship them and have them on the dollar bills and stuff like that. And, and I'm, I'm just, I'm just blown away. I, I, I can't, I couldn't process that. I, I think I went off subject. Great. So back to the question where, um, oh yeah, to get to a firearm. So, um, growing up, especially in high school, going to college, I was very liberal. I had a liberal mindset. I, I, I remember there's a saying that only people with guns have gun problems. And that, that saying kind of stuck with me in my head. Not until I got a job as a um, manager at a bakery did I got involved with firearm because at the bakery, um, I had to work with a lot of young individuals like that was still in high school, especially a lot of girls. And I, I felt nervous because we had to close the bakery and we have to stay up all the way to two in the morning. And, uh, the business would not, the, the, the business would not want to hire security. And I had to handle a lot of cash because a lot of our customer, um, use cash. Um, and I felt very nervous. And one day I, uh, I went out to have dinner with my, um, district manager and she, and I brought up the topic about, Hey, you know, are like, are you guys interested in getting security? Because I don't feel safe. I'm, I'm counting like, you know, five, six, seven thousand dollars in cash every night. Do you think it's a good idea to get security? She said that she wants to look into it. She understand that I was coming from because our store is located off of, uh, Bel Air and Bowie 8. And, and that's West Houston for those that aren't. Yeah. Yeah. West, West Houston. Houston. And, and that area happened to be targeted by a lot of criminals because they know that Asian tends to have cash on them and. You, like you see a lot of cars get break in. I remember it was funny. This little, uh, this very old lady, she bought two boxes, two boxes of full of bread and she walked out. And minutes later, she come back and she was crying. The guy, the guy snatched, you know, all my breads for me. Aww. Yeah. Aww. And, <laughs> and, and, and I just kind of helped her, you know, get her two new box and, you know, walk her out to a car. You know, I, I felt, yeah, very bad for her. And so I, I, I didn't feel safe in my area, like, especially when there's cars just parked out, just parked there at night. Um, and I'm like, why are they still parked there? It's two in the morning. Like, right. why is there a car there? I, I know that's not, not any of my employee car or my car. So, um, my area manager came back to me and offered me that, Hey, Henry, you live in Texas. How about we pay for your, uh, concealed carry license and, we pay for your first firearm that you purchase and you can carry that as since you're a manager and, and we have paperwork to allow you to, to do so. I remember the first firearm I purchased was a Glock 26. At the time, I was still very scared. 
<laughs> and I was somewhat kind of against it. But, um, you know, I started meeting a different group of people with, since, you know, that was also interested in firearm. And we started to click and we built this friendship, this bond and this hobby just grow and grow and grow and grow. And now I have a lot more than what I'm supposed to have. <laughs> yeah. There's no limit in Texas. It, yeah. It's, and, and, and what's crazy was I feel like my change in my political view and my stance, looking back now, it, it all started just by owning one firearm because I started to hang out with a different group of people and I started questioning how they think. Tell me about that. that. That's an interesting statement. So as a non-gun owner and you really had growing up no reason to think any otherwise because of your upbringing in Vietnam, mm-hmm. um, now coming to America where, where we have our firearm freedoms, um, it is a different mindset. It, it is a very, you know, firearm owners are very responsible. We're very friendly. You know, we're, we're a social um, good group of people. And so tell me about that statement, the difference in the non-firearm people that you, um, that you knew versus this new group of friends that you were making because of your shared interest in, in owning guns. I have two group of friends. I have one group of friends that are against, um, firearm and they very, uh, towards the left and have a different group of people who are to all the way to the right, and they're very pro-firearm. Like How I see that is that my friends who are against firearm, they don't even give it a chance. They they never, you know, take me up on my offer, go to the range, and have a an actual safety, you know, for me to teach them and show them that, hey, this is a tool that could help protect you, your property, your business, they they never gave me that chance to, for me to introduce them. And the way that I see firearms now, it's like driving a car. A car is just like a weapon itself. But you understand all the rules of driving. You come to a red light, you stop. You know, you know what your speed limit are. You understand all of that. So now driving a car is like walking to you. You don't even think twice about it. And that's to me, in my mind, it's the same goes for firearm. You have to learn your fundamental. After you learn those fundamental, having the firearm is just a tool. It's, it's not going to harm you in any way. But I feel like the media and all of this it has it, it, it put on this stigma toward firearm that if oh if, if you're a firearm owner, then you must be a right winged person. You're a conservative, and you're. You, you're not thinking about all of the mass shooting that happened in the past. So it's just have this very negative stigma. Whereas the people that I hang out with in the right, they are right wing people, very conservative. But the funny thing is they're very relaxed people. <laughs> you know, they're very easygoing people. It just like they're very happy people. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know how to say it. I don't know how to, um, to, to point out. It's, it's too, it's just very, Two different group of people. Um, the people that share the common interest with me as far as firearm, they tend to be a lot of old, like older people. They tend to have family, um, compared to the people that don't. 
So um, a, a lot of these people that owns a firearm, they also work towards something, properties, private properties, they have businesses. And what I, the overall picture is that I, I realize that these people are realistic. They're realistic in the sense that they understand the power of being independent and that they should not put their lives and their loved one and dependent on the police to solve all their problems. And that's what I noticed. Um, and, and the fact is, and it goes, let's, let's go back to my bakery and we take a look this, at this at my bakery. I remember there was a couple incident where people break into the vehicle or I felt unsafe. And there was like a random car with people sitting in front of the bakery. I remember I called the police twice. It was like three times. Um, like one time someone broke into the car and this family was out from Dallas and they took their luggage and stuff. And what I noticed during this three time incident is how long it took the police to arrive at the scene. I came to conclude that it's safer for you to have some form of protection such as a firearm compared to just, you know, waiting to, for the police to solve your problem. So same goes with a lot of my uh, older friends who have family member, uh, you know, their loved ones, their kids, their wives, they, they have house, they have a property. They really like they understand the reality that this is their responsibility. If something would go wrong, something would bad happen bad towards their family, their daughter, their son, they can't blame the police. They all had the chance to do something right. And do you have the right tool to provide you that kind of safety? What do you think brings people to those conclusions? What What do you think is the transformation? Like a lot of people that grew up around firearms, um, they just continue on that those generations of it's just the way it is. We always had firearms growing up. But what do you think is the difference? I mean, do you think everybody has a certain profound aha moment where whether it be an experience they had or um, just wanting to learn more about it? What, what do you think in your experience and knowing both sides of people that have firearms versus people that don't and your circle of friends overlap or maybe not? But um, what do you think some of those moments are that really get people to understand the value of our rights to own firearms? Um, very good question. I think as a, it can be breakdowns into one word. Very simple. The word is responsibility. Um, the people that are against firearm, the younger, they tend to be a lot younger crowd, younger than me, possibly more my age. These group of people they are still sheltered. They, they they haven't worked towards something yet, or they don't have family. To me, they don't understand responsibility, and they're not as realistic as this group of people on the other side. On the on the group that is pro firearm, uh, I see that they're more realistic, and they have responsibility, and they understand that. All of this is within their control. And if something were to go wrong, they can't blame someone else. It's just really in one word, responsibility. I can see the difference between the two groups. Like, am I allowed to go into, uh, like politic or, or talk about, um, this is your story. Okay. I want to hear your. Okay. Interesting. 
So, uh, um, so you know, growing up from high school, going to college, I was very liberal minded, and man, did I love Obama! I loved that man. He was such a well-spoken individual. I, I voted for him twice. Now, as I've learned and I, I have waken up to reality, do I regret those decisions? Growing up, I feel that um, firearm is is an unnecessary tool. Like we don't need it, and it goes back to that term that I used to believe in: only people with guns have gun problem, and that is absolutely incorrect. Where did you where Where did you get that mindset? Who Who influenced um, that mindset growing up? Right. So um, growing up. I used to watch a lot of uh, is uh, liberal media, as in CNN, you know, MSNBC, a lot of the left wing media um, that put this negative stigma on firearm. I was the the reason why I had that mindset that believe was I I was so involved with watching TV when I was younger because. I didn't have responsibility. Like I didn't have to work. I like I have to have so much free time, and I didn't realize that they are nurturing something in me, and this mindset that I have. Looking back now, I was surprised that I'm able to break loose from that. And let me tell you how I start to steer away from um, having a very left wing mindset. So, my parents split at, when when I was eighteen. Uh, uh, in two thousand eight, the economy crashed, and my dad filed for bankruptcy. And my dad and my mom, um, they decided to get divorced, and it, it was like a hard time for me. And um, it, like it was a hard time because, um, and my dad had decided to go back to Vietnam. So I, I don't get along with my dad. He made a lot of decisions that I don't agree with. So I don't have a father figure, and I had to figure out the world on my own. I had to figure it out. And what's funny is, um, I got this job at a young age to work at a cigar lounge in Sugarland. Uh, it was called Cigar Cigar. I wanted the job. Um, to, to, to work there is because I was like, man, like people who smoke cigar, they, they must be very wealthy people. And I, I got this little side job where I would wash and detail very expensive vehicle on the weekend. And I thought that if I get the job here, you know, like I could wash their car and they'll pay me a lot of money. <laughs> so, um, you know, so, so, so I, 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 Try really hard every day to go there, turn in my resume. I come back and check up on it. And uh, the manager there, Miss Mrs. Tom Park, he's a very nice guy. He eventually gave me the job because I wanted it so bad. <laughs> <laughs> so I was this 21 year old working at a cigar shop. I don't know how to smoke. I don't know how to drink. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't know. I was just, just you know, this young individual didn't didn't know anything. And and uh, I met this gentleman named Tom Tran. He was a member of the lounge, a member of the club. And he was Vietnamese like me. 
I, I like I I still very close with him this day. I see him as my father figure, or I like in a way I consider him as my father. Um, me and him would start hanging out, you know, all the time on his free time. He would take me out to go eat lunch, and we'd spend a lot of time together. But there is one drastic difference between me and him. I am very left wing, and he's a conservative, you know, conservative all the way. And I always question myself, why is this gentleman such a smart guy? Why is why is he a conservative? Because I used to look down towards being conservative, conservative and be Republican. Like, because in my mind is, man, like they they say outrageous stuff. They are religious fanatic. Like I have this negative thing. But the the awesome thing about Tom is that he never imposed that onto me. He never we never talk about politics. But I like every now and then when me and him hang out, I would ask him questions. I was like. Like Tom, like why, like 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 why do you think that way? Or like, um, I remember when Trump was running for president, he was supporting Trump. Like he was like, and I was like, why are you supporting Trump? This guy is so grass, you know. He he's so harsh with his words. The stuff that he say is outrageous, and I I couldn't comprehend it because to to me, Tom is a very successful businessman. He has everything together. He's a family man. He's everything that I want to be when when I grow up. You know, he has a, a beautiful wife. He have three healthy kids. He have a beautiful house. He have two successful business. Like man, like this is who I want to be. And like, am, like, am I missing something here? Is something not put together? Like, I, I want to be like this guy, but I can't think like this guy politically. But I, I never shut it down. I just kept it open. I, 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 so I think at this point, I'm like in the middle. You know, I'm getting there. I'm, 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 I'm trying to, I'm trying to see what he see. So I started listening to people like Ben Shapiro. Um, I started, you know, digging myself into, um, conservative speaker to try to understand and try to have this relation with Tom. Um, that we can connect. Um, there's another guy to Dinesh, uh, Osuja. It's like Indian man. He's very conservative. Um, and now I'm starting to get, um, like Candace Owen, Larry Elder. Um, so it, like these people are now starting to become like people who I listen to on the media on my free time. They, they, they're starting to become my idol. I, I, I start exposing myself to more conservative people in the way they talk. And I come to see that these people are just simply realistic people. So I feel like I was in this on on this mission to try and discover like am I the crazy individual or is Tom my mentor the crazy <laughs> individual? I feel like one of us have to be crazy. <laughs> so um I just, you know, do my own research and so on and so forth. And along these research, I just, I, I feel like, man, I'm starting to discover things that, that I can't go back from. I, I see the, 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 like the, the news agenda. Um, so it works me up even more. And I, like how I could describe this, it's like me. I don't know if you ever seen the movie, The Matrix. Mm-hmm. Is me taking 
the uh, the red pill, and it just woke me up um, from everything that I used to know politically and how my mind was, and I see how just pure and innocent I was, and I wasn't you know realistic to now seeing the world what is you know what the world really is, seeing the truth, the reality, and and now I consider myself a conservative, a Republican, and a proud one, and I can't go back <laughs> to seeing the other's view. Um, and this, this because of this, it led me on to um, meeting another individual. His name is Steve uh, Young. He is a uh, retired air marshal. Um, I used to work at a gun range part-time, and he was also working there. And one day I was joking with him, with, with him was like, Hey, Steve, uh, have you ever like, you know, started like doing business again? You know, take me along with you just jokingly. And, uh, I was, I always wanted to do my own business or like, or get into a point where I can do business. So funny thing is one day, um, he, he contacted me. He was like, Hey, Henry, I'm looking to start a business. Are you interested? Do you want to be an investor? That this is how um, I become more and more involved in firearm, but it's just, um, but in a responsible way. I cannot stress that enough. N- now, me and Steve, we are on a journey to build a business. It's mainly to continue his passion, but I get to come along for the ride in the sense that I learn about business and and how to run this whole thing. But this is all him because he knows more about law, law enforcement. He knows more about, you know, protection and firearms than I do. And I, if I can just help him in any way that I can. So now, um, like one of my business is, uh, um, we, we, we want to teach, uh, civilian about firearm in a very responsible manners. And that they can protect their properties, their business, and church. So did you ever think, looking back 20 years ago, that you would end up sitting here right now uh, with the experiences that you've had and transforming your views, your outlook on um, very sensitive and um, political issues? And um, did you ever think that you'd make this total 180-degree transformation from uh, your view on firearms and and responsible gun ownership from where you came from um no i (laughs) i did not because i always thought that i was this really smart guy and uh it it humbled me and i'm not and uh and i'm surprised that i am here and i i can tell you now that i am more passionate about being conservative being a republican than I was like I ever was as when I when I was having a different political belief, because what I see now is is that from for me in my generation is that I don't want to lose this country, and I don't want to lose my first, second amendment or any amendment. I um I I'm I'm very scared right now as me working you know. Part time. I also work at HTV part time. I see a lot of young individuals around me that are just com- completely blinded by the media, just as I was before. 
I, 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 I see that. I, like, I hope that they will eventually find it in within themselves to find the truth and wake up from this. So if you had one word of advice to give um, people that may not be around firearms or may not um, have grown up around them or maybe are new to learning about firearms and you've had an incredible, like I said, a transformation from where you came from to where you are now. And, and the most profound thing you said to me when we met was you realize that so many people here take this for granted and it you don't because you've seen growing up in your country what the control is of firearms and and not allowing citizens to have them and then you come to america and we have such incredible rights um what is a message that you would like to tell people that maybe on the fence about firearms or really don't care either way but knowing the fact that you don't take this for granted anymore and, and you've grown into this new attitude around freedom. Right. So what I want to, like my message to everyone is to just simply keep an open mind. The, the one thing that I realized when I was when I had a different political mindset and hanging around with my mentor is that he, I, I judge him as a person and as a character. He, he, he's, he's responsible. He's a good person. But I was like, why is, why does he think different from, from me? I just need to keep that mind open and not shut it off. I can't say that, Oh, he's completely wrong. He's, you know, stupid. I, I, I had to go out there and try to make sense of it. Um, I think that's the most important thing. And, and I think that if you have that mindset, you will come to the truth. Now, I, I want to go off a bit. So one of the interesting thing that I want to share is, um, in 2013, uh, my aunt in Vietnam offered me, um, a, uh, a job over there. And I, I came back to Vietnam to work over there for nine months. Now I'm a grown adult. I believe I was 23 or 24 at the time. And I see things differently. So what I mean by, like, I don't want, I don't want American people to take the Second Amendment is that, like, um, so when I was in Vietnam, I remember being at a coffee shop. I was sitting there with my friend drinking coffee. I remember a police, there was two police pulling up in a motorcycle. They pull up to a business and I see that the business owner and the wife was there. They had to give him some money because it was just a bribe or some sort of, uh, I know it wasn't a transaction, but they do that a lot in Vietnam. Uh, when, when I was working for my aunt, we had to go out and cater to all of this politician or people who was in power because they were simply connected to the Communist Party through bloodline. Um, we had to bribe them and pay for their food, pay for their hotel, take them, give them all sort of entertainment because the people don't have the right to 
protect themselves. It's it's just the the government is so powerful, and the people can't do anything about that. You have to go along with that system. Uh, I think in Vietnam, if you're caught with like a firearm, and you're not like a political, you don't have any political connection, you're not a police, and you caught with a firearm, I think is life sentence or something like wow. that, or you could be hanged or death or something like that. And that's just a lot. Like I believe that's anywhere as far if if they have a uh, communist government, and uh, that just put things into perspective for me. I'm, I'm very fortunate in the sense that I, I get to see both sides. So I have this realistic comparison. Um, the the one thing that me and my friend we don't connect up, um, with is that a lot of my friends they're born here. So they don't have a comparison. Like they can't compare America to another country. So for me, I always compare Vietnam to America. And yes, America is not perfect, but America is a lot better than Vietnam. For my friend, they were born here. They were raised here. So in their mind, how I see it is, is that they're comparing America to like a utopia or like the Garden of Eden, something that is not realistic. For me now, as like as an American, I see how important it is for us, for citizen, to understand firearms, just like they have to learn how to drive a car. Um, the overall picture of the Second Amendment is for us to have firearms, is just in case of there's tyranny within the government. Well, we're able to protect or self-protect our right because reality is people become corrupt when they are exposed to power and sometimes they can't let that go. So now that I'm more aware and I feel like I'm, I understand responsibility and I see the truth and the reality I want to dedicate um, my life and my goal to protect the Second Amendment and the First Amendment. And I, I want to help my friends and, and other Americans to see how good that we have it here in this country and not take it for granted. You know, like one of my favorite quote from, you know, JFK is don't ask what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. I, I feel like we live in such a great country and I, I, I don't want to lose it. I think like, like what's the saying? If it's not bad, don't, if it's not broken, then you don't, don't need to it. fix it. It's, it's find a way it is. We, we need a, the, the second amendment will always exist. The right for a citizen to have firearm is is very important. Responsible people, uh, and that's that's what my goal is. That's that's what I I am determined to do, and I I I hope to find more people that share the experience that I have. And I also want, it, like in the future, when I get, you know, when I'm done with my college and career like that, I want to get more involved. In the sense that I want to wake people up and not depend on what they just hear. I, I want them to go out there and do their own research and see the truth.
That's great. Well, thank you so much for spending time and, and talking on the podcast and telling us your story. It's it's nice to meet somebody that has had such experience and uh, a new love and new passion for firearms like like I do myself. So <laughs> you have heard another North American Outdoors podcast, Roaming the Woods and Waters and Creating a Memory That Will Last a Lifetime. This is Heidi Rayo with my special guest, Henry. And follow us on Instagram at North American Outdoors and like us on Facebook. Have a great day. Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 930 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.